0: got your Bible, turn to Hebrews 11. We've been in Hebrews 11 for several weeks now. Um, We're we're coming to the end. Uh, So get excited. We're fixing to move on to chapter 12. (laughs) Hopefully we will, Lord willing, we're going to get through the rest of Hebrews today. So 29 through 40. Um, As sort of a recap, if you're you're new with us here this week or if you've... uh, uh, were missed a little bit here and there, I was going to go back over and and talk about a little bit what we've talked about through Hebrews 11. So, class participation. What is one word that is a key word throughout the entire 11th chapter of Hebrews? Does anybody know? Faith. Yes. Exactly. And if I were to ask Tracy to read a key verse from chapter 11 that we've talked about, What do you got, Tracy? What's a good one? Amen. That's excellent. It's almost like we planned that, Tracy. That was good. So last week, Dave talked about genuine saving faith being selective. And so he gave us three truths that um, true faith is rooted in. And that is the... Uh, to trust in the plan of God, to trust in the provision of God, and to trust in the promises of God. So, first we were to trust in the plan of God, which means trusting in His sovereign, uh, His sovereignty, and in that we see that demonstrated in Moses's parents and, and in the life of Moses himself and his own actions. Next, we were to look at. And, and trust in God's provision. And that means to follow his way, but not our way. His way and not our way. Moses uh, went from being this prince of Egypt, from having everything he ever wanted and, and needing nothing, to, to wandering into the desert. And, and God provided for his needs. We saw it again with Passover, with the sacrificial blood of the Lamb, in that when it was put on the doorpost, God provided protection for those that, that put the blood on the do- doorpost. Last we saw that we are to trust in God's promises. We saw that God is a covenant-keeping God and that He's a keeper of promises. He does not break promises. He does not break His covenant. We can have faith in Him. Dave also made a statement that really sums up this chapter. And I thought it was great. It's this, faith is not new. It has been the ticket to salvation all along. That's, that's the message that the writer of Hebrews is really trying to get us to hold on to and latch a hold of. And so it was a great message. If you want to hear that message, it's linked on our Facebook page. It was really solid if you want to go back and listen to it. So now that we're caught up, we're going to be looking at this last section of chapter 11. And what we're going to see is kind of a a tell of two cities so to speak we're gonna see starting with 29 through the end of the chapter we're gonna see this shift in the middle uh, around 35 first 35 so what I want to talk about mainly today is that shift and and so let's address that I'm gonna start off by reading in 29 please follow along we're gonna read 29 through 40 it says this by faith The people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth uh, of David and Samuel of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Verse 35, women received back their dead by resurrection. Now here, note this shift. "'Women received back their dead from resurrection. "'Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, "'so that they may rise again to a better life. "'Others suffered mocking and flogging "'and even chains and imprisonment. "'They were stoned. "'They were sawn in two. "'They were killed with the sword. "'They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, "'destitute, afflicted, mistreated, "'of whom the world was not worthy.'" Wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in the dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has promised something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, Christians and non Christians can have this defective view of what Christian life really is. Preaching the Word of God, the aim there is to bring our views of God and His ways in line with one another because His is truth and we want to be in line with His truth. We do this for unbelievers so that you can embrace Christianity on the basis of a true picture. It's so easy to get a hold of a distorted view of Christianity and have that lead you down the wrong path. It's the same for believers. We do this so... You can live your lives based on the true views of God and His ways, not distorted or discouraging ones. So this passage is tremendously important for blowing the fog of confusion away from what faith is and what it guarantees. There are many today who teach this uh, health, wealth, and prosperity and and. If you're lacking in those things, it's because you're lacking in faith. And when we study the words of Jesus and his teachings and the teachings of his uh, apostles, that just doesn't pan out. We don't see that. And so while I studied this ch- end of this chapter this week, it really hit me uh, what, it, what an incredible thing this is to see these two sides of faith. So I'm going to make these five brief points uh, based on these verses. And I I hope that you're able to get uh, as much out of this as I did. It's just amazing stuff to me. The first point is this. Through our faith, God can and does work miracles and acts of protective care to help and deliver his people. Let me say that again. Through our faith, God can and does work miracles and acts of protective care to help and deliver his people. That's the point of the verses 29 through the first part of 35 there. And and what I'm talking about here, and what I mean by miracles, is works of God that are an extraordinary interruption to what is a natural kind of cause and effect day-to-day life that we see. That's what I mean by miracles. Let's look at some of those. So the writer refers, for example, to the dividing of the sea, Red Sea in chapter, or sorry, Verse 29. And the falling down of the walls of Jericho. Once again, that was miraculous. And the shutting of the mouths of lions when Daniel was in the lion's den. That was in verse 33. And the quenching of the fire by Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego when Nebuchadnezzar had them thrown into the furnace like when we studied in Daniel. That's in verse 34. We also see the resurrection of a son of a, of a widow of Zephaniah. That's in 35a. All of these or what we usually would call miracles. See, God breaks in to this normal way of things working. And in an extraordinary way, he makes them different. He changes them. And in every case here, the people of God were helped or rescued from danger or death. So that's one way that God works through our faith. By miracles. But I also mentioned this acts of protective care. Uh, a church word for that is providence. Acts of providence. So through our faith, God helps us by acts of protective care. And what I mean by this is God, he controls situations, but in a less extraordinary way than the miracles. Uh, Looking on, you wouldn't necessarily say that a miracle has happened. So, for example, the writer refers to Rahab not perishing because she had heard of the power of the God of Israel. See, she was a, a resident, a citizen of Jericho and she's heard these stories about this people group moving towards their city and the fact that they had had these miraculous things happen and there's this God that is protecting them. And so she received in and cared for these Jewish spies in in 31. That's an act of protective care. And David conquering kingdoms and establishing righteousness in verse 33. That was a standard process for a king to go about conquering kingdoms. But God worked in an act of protective care to allow him to do those things. And to Elijah escaping the sword of Jezebel, that's verse 34. Gideon being strengthened in weakness in verse 34. Um, in all these cases, God is the one working behind the scenes, but he's not doing miracles and they're not as obvious. But this is what we're going to call ordinary the ordinary workings of God's protective care. So the point of... What the writer of Hebrews is doing here in 29 through 35 is that all of this, all of this is wonderful acts of God. Both the extraordinary miracles and and the ordinary acts of protective care. And both of them, this is key, both of them come about by faith. Both of them by faith. You see that in verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. And then just this act of protective care Verse 31, by faith, Rahab did not perish. You see that? The point is that God works through faith to do miracles and acts of protective care to bring about practical and earthly help and deliverance to his people. That's the first point. Second point is this. God does not always work miracles and acts of protective care to prevent suffering. Sometimes by faith, God sustains His people through suffering. That point is made in in that second shift, in 35b through 38. Another way to put this is that having true faith in God is no guarantee of comfort and security in this life. It's just not. It's, It's absolutely crucial now for you to see that the miseries God's people sustained in the verses 35 through 38, they come by faith. They don't come by because of unbelief. That's important. They come by faith and not unbelief. We're going to see that in two ways. In, uh, first, in verse 33, notice that the list begins with, who by faith, you see that? Who by faith conquered kingdoms? And it continues on. And then it says, without a break, it continues and says, um all these miseries that are in 35 through 38. It is by faith that others were tortured and others experienced mocking and scourging. You see, all this misery is received and endured by faith. That's interesting. The other way, the second point here is to see that in verse 39, which looks back on all the suffering of verses 35 through 38, and it says, and all these, all these suffering people, speaking of all the suffering people mentioned here, having gained approval through their faith, did not yet receive in this life what was promised. So in other words, the suffering and misery and and torture of God's people in these these verses, 35 through 38, are not because of God's disapproval. It's not because of God's disapproval. Rather, God's approval is resting on them because of their faith. The miseries and sufferings endured, they were endured by faith. So let's be specific uh, and get a full impact of what's being said here. Second part of 35 says, Others were tortured. This is what I want you to hear. God does not always turn the heart of torturers away from the torture of His people. And He could do that. He could do that. And somebody might say, you might might have heard this said, Well, the torturers have free will, and God, uh, He can't intervene because He has to limit Himself. And that's simply not what the Bible teaches. That's not true. The Bible frequently portrays God restraining and channeling uh, the evil of men's hearts away. Uh, Scriptural evidence. Genesis 20, verse 6. In this story, we see King Abimelech, and he's about to commit adultery with Abraham's wife. But he doesn't. You know why? And it says, because God says to Abimelech, I also kept you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. You see, God restrained the evil intent of Abimelech's will. So if God can do that for Abimelech, he can do it for you, he can do it for me, he can do it for the police chief who's about to torture a Christian in the back room of a Mozambique jail. He can do it for anybody. But he doesn't always do that. So what does verse 35b say, the second part of 35? And what does it mean when the suffering of Christian... Uh, and what does it mean? Does it mean that the suffering Christian does not have faith? No, not at all. Not at all. We'll see that in verse, or chapter 12 when we get there. Another scriptural evidence of this is God does not always lessen the, the agony of His children, but permits them to experience not just suffering, but pretty terrible, horrific suffering. Verse 37 says, They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Now this is two pretty horrible ways to to die. And and the sawn in two part refers to Isaiah um church tradition uh says that Isaiah was sawn in two with a saw made of wood. Uh imagine how forsaken you might feel and that here you're fixing to die and the person that's gonna do it is devised this horrible way to end your life, and it says here that that has happened, and it has happened to people of whom the world was not worthy. You see, God could stop that, and he could do it uh, without nullifying any human responsibility that 's the point of verses twenty nine through thirty five a what we first read: God has the power to do that God can can and does do miracles. And acts of, of providence to relieve his people and deliver them. But not always. So this is the, perhaps the clearest uh, compare and contrast that I can do in verses 34 and, and one in verse 37. It says this, in verse 34, the second uh, part of that says, They escaped the edge of the sword. And some by faith escaped the edge of the sword. So then in verse 37, it says they were put to death with the sword. So in one instance uh, of faith, they escaped, by the, uh, escaped the edge of the sword. In another, they died by the edge of the sword. You see, Acts 12, 1 through 2 tells, tells us this. About that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. But you see, the next verse tells of the story of how he arrested Peter with the same purpose, but God miraculously delivered Peter. You see, one dies by faith, and the other escapes by faith. So that's the second point. God does not always work miracles and acts of uh, protective care to deliver his people by faith. Sometimes by faith, God sustains his people through the suffering. Point three. It's this, having faith is not the ultimate determining factor whether you suffer or escape. God is. God's sovereign will and His wisdom and His love. To me, this is incredibly comforting. It is a great relief to know that there is a higher explanation for my pain and for my pleasure than whether or not I have enough faith. That's true for you. Wouldn't it be horrible to have to believe that on top of all your suffering, you had to believe, well, it must be because I have a lack of faith? That's simply not biblical. We will not assume that here at this church. We will not look into the face of dying and sad people and say, well, if you had faith, you would have, you'll live. You'll do better. We'd rather say trust in God because whether you live by faith or die by faith, God will take care of those who trust in Him to live as Christ and to die as gain. And ultimately, it is God. It is God, not us, who decides how and when we die. He has His purposes. They are hidden from us. And faith means we believe they are good. Point four. The common feature of the faith that escapes suffering and the faith that endures suffering is this. Both of them involve being believing that God himself is better than what life can give to you now and better than what death can take away from you later. The common feature of what faith that escapes suffering and faith that endures suffering is this. Both of them involve believing that God himself is better than what life can give to you now and better than what death can take from you later. You see, when you can have it all, faith says that God is better. And when you lose it all, faith says that God is better. The clearest illustration of this in, in this text in thirty five it says by faith this woman received back, these women receive back their dead by resurrection. And others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they may obtain a better resurrection. Now what does faith believe in a moment of torture? Does it believe that if God loved me, He would get me out of this? No, that's not what it says. Faith believes that there is a resurrection for believers which is better than the miracle of escape. It's better than this kind of resurrection experienced by this widow's son, who returned to life only to die again later. In other words, faith is completely in love with God and all that He can do for us beyond the grave. Faith loves God more than life. Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than any job, any retirement plan, any ministry, any building a house, any making of a million dollars. Faith says, whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love him. He is my reward, like 11.6 says. He is the builder of the city I long for, like 11.10 says. He is the treasure beyond the riches of Egypt, like in 11.26. And he surpasses all others and abides forever. So the great challenge of the book of Hebrews and the mission of this church, the mission of Plant, Grow, Harvest Harvest, is to cultivate and spread a death-defying passion for God. The preaching, the mission work, the small group work, the relationships of love, the food boxes, the prayer gatherings, all of that is aimed at this, to cultivate and to spread such a deep and satisfying relationship with God that we can rest in Him whether we're living or dying or comfortable or miserable. Our aim is to cultivate and spread the unshakable confidence that God is better than what this life can give us and what death can take away. Fifth point. Those who love God more than life and suffer willingly await something better than what this earth can offer. And they are God's great gift to this world. They are God's great gift to this world. So let's look at 37B and 38 there. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute. Um, They weren't dressed real nice. They weren't weren't living it up with their $1,000 sneakers. Afflicted and ill-treated. People of whom the world were not worthy. Wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. So what does it mean that the world was not worthy of these obscure, destitute, unsightly, seemingly cursed people? What does that mean, the world was not worthy of them? It means this, that they were a gift to the world and the world did not deserve them. Now get this, many things in life are utterly opposite from the way they seem. And here is one of them. When the precious children of God are permitted to suffer and are being rejected and mistreated and go destitute and are are afflicted, God is giving the world a gift. He's giving the world a gift. He is gracing the world. He is shedding His love abroad in the world because in those who suffer and die in this unshakable assurance of hope in God, the world is given a message. And it's this, that the Lord Himself is better than life. Turn, turn, O sinner, and believe in God. Who would have thought it? Who would have thought it? It's counter-intelligent. It's counter-logic. That this, this world, the suffering are, are a gift to this world. The suffering are a gift to this world. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says this. Oh, the depth Of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable His ways. For those who know the mind of the Lord. Who has been His counselor. Or who has given a gift to Him. That He might be repaid. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I want to end with this. I want to leave with this one last thing. So many times. We get to read these wonderful scriptures, but not always in full context, right? A lot of times we're, we're taking something and reading a little bit here, re- reading a little bit there, which is still good because it's still the Word of God. But here we have this great opportunity. It is a great opportunity. And there are a couple of great verses that start off the chapter that's coming up. Chapter 12. So after this entire chapter, after studying God's Word, after studying Hebrews 11 for the past four weeks and, and looking at the faith of Abel, the faith of Abraham, the faith of Moses, the faith of these that we talked about today, after example, after example, after example of faith in action, the writer of Hebrews gives us these first two verses of chapter 12. And I want us to listen to these. In fact, I want us to stand and listen and, and as I read these, and this is how we'll end the service today. This is the start of chapter 12. After, after giving us all of chapter 11, it says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, is, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, may we look to You this morning. We thank You that You are the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord, that it is not dependent upon us, but wholly and fully dependent upon You, Jesus. We praise You and thank You that You are seated at the right hand of our Heavenly Father right now as we speak interceding on our behalf Jesus may may you use this body of believers in a great and mighty way may we seek to live out the great commission at this church may we be bothered to the depths of our heart that there are people dying around this world that do not know your name that are in need of a savior Forgive us where we fall short, Jesus. May we be on mission for you this week as individuals, as families, and as a church body, Lord. We thank you for all your blessings that you poured out on us, Jesus, that you continue to pour out on us. We thank you for your future grace, and one day we will get to stand with you in heaven.